Well, let's get into our text this morning, into our series. Many of us have a vision for who we want to be, what we want to accomplish, and a plan for how we want to achieve it. But we have not taken the time to dream about what kind of community we as Christians should be. We need to dream together. It's really important as a church. Unless we have that conversation together, I will continue to do me, and you will continue to do you. I'm grateful for Pastor Andrew and the way last week that he walked us through imagining ourselves being authentic. And this morning, in the midst of the busyness of our lives, how many know that September's here? Oh man, it is here and it's moving fast. In the busyness of our lives, I want to help you imagine what it would look like for all of us to be present in the moment. Our scripture comes from Luke 10, 38 to 42. Uh, I know the buckets are being passed. I'm going to read the scripture to you, and uh, we're going to honor God this morning by reading his word and placing it at the center of our attention today. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. Listen to the scripture this morning. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Or indeed, only one thing. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for this lesson out of Luke 10 concerning Mary and Martha and the way that you spoke to them and the way that you spent time with them. Lord, this morning you desire to spend time with us. In the midst of that time, Lord, there can be many distractions all around us. Our phones can buzz, and we can be thinking about the corn roast that we're going to have after service. And, and, and we can already sense, Lord, that it's going to be a great time together. But, Lord, there's so many things that our mind can think about. But help us, God, in these moments that we share together to focus on the thing that matters most, your presence. Where can we go from your presence, Lord? Whether we go to the highest heavens or to the lowest place, you are there. And Lord, there's more than two or three people gathered in this place. So you're here even right now. Help us, Lord, to sense your presence, to feel your presence, to hear your voice, and to experience your truth in a powerful way, and to apply it to our hearts as we leave this place, that we'll be changed in the presence of an almighty God. God, we long to hear your voice again, we pray. Speak because your servants are listening. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. If I were to ask everybody in this room how they're doing today, one of the highest trending responses would be, I'm busy. I'm busy. Is busyness a good thing? Well, in comparison to absolute idleness, of course it is. Busyness is a great thing. But when it comes to our work and our life and our ministry balance, absolutely not. It can be a horrible thing. See, busyness has become our default response even if we're not really busy at all. 
We just say, ah, I'm busy. I'm busy. And our culture has falsely promoted busyness as a sign of high productivity. In actuality, a constant state of busyness is a subtle statement of pride, a sense of superiority, and insecurity in self-sufficiency. See, in the midst of busyness, I believe we have lost an appreciation for presence. We need to be a presence-driven people. People who are after the presence of Jesus Christ. Last week, I had the privilege of attending a conference in Calgary, the World Pentecostal Conference. And it was a huge conference. There were 3,500 delegates representing 74 nations that were in attendance. And it was a beautiful sight to see the sense of unity and yet the sense of diversity. And we invaded downtown Calgary. And and we were present, and we were there. And God moved, and we felt his presence. In one of the sessions that I was sitting in, Pastor Douglas Clay, the superintendent of the Assemblies of God in the United States, he identified seven challenges to renewal, the renewal of the Holy Spirit in the church, and one of them being this, the fragmentation of face-to-face contact. There's not a lot of FaceTime. There's a lot of digital FaceTime. There's not a lot of real face-to-face connections. That's hindering us from the renewal that God wants to bring into the life of the church. Does the presence of Jesus matter more to us than anything else in this world? I hope you can say yes, but does our life reflect that truth? Is the presence of people of greater eternal value in our eyes than the power and the possessions of this world? I sure hope so. Friends, the guise of busyness is a godlike deception. It fools people into thinking that they're omnipotent and omniscient and omnipresent. You see, you do not have the power in your own strength to do all things. You do not know everything. You cannot be everywhere all the time. What we, what we cannot do, only God can do. And so why are we trying to play God? in our own lives. Our preference for busyness may cause us to miss the God-ordained, those sacred moments when we need to slow down instead of to speed up to discover God's transformative presence. And he's here right now and he wants to transform us. We need to slow down, not speed up. Our preoccupation must be with the presence of God rather than with the busyness of self. And so how do we make the transition? How do we transition from our busy lives and move onto the other side of where we're driven by the presence of God? Well, James chapter 1, verses 19 to 20 give us three important, valuable pieces of advice. I want to share that with you today. And the scripture says, my dear brothers and sisters, that's us. Take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. What seems like really simple instructions are surprisingly complex for us to apply into our lives. Friends, this is difficult. This is not easy. But we need to strive for James chapter 1, verse 19 to 20. See, James, he advocates that we should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry when we're naturally slow to listen, quick to speak, and quick to become angry. Isn't that the truth? 
And a believer's speech and thoughts and actions can no longer be driven by the gut reactions, but rather from a spirit-enabled, self-controlled lifestyle. To posture ourselves to receive God's word this morning, I'm going to ask you to do something unique today. Almost everyone in this place has one of these. You have one of these? A smartphone? Would you pull it out for a second? You're like, "Uh uh-oh. And I can sense it. The, The mood is shifting. The mood is shifting. So why don't we lift this up for a moment? This is a blessing, and this is a curse. What would happen, let me pose the question, what would happen if we collectively turned off this device for the next 30 minutes of our life so that we could be in a distraction-free zone? Are you willing to do that with me? Some of you are like, nope, ain't going to do it. (laughs) Best of luck, Pastor. You ain't touching my phone. (laughs) Why don't we do that? I'm going to turn mine off. We're going to turn it off. Swipe, press the button. If you don't know how to do that, some of us don't turn off the phone. Some of us wait till the battery is dead and then plug it back in and recharge it. I know what you're talking about. Some of you have portable chargers that you take everywhere that you go so that it stays charged. It's off. Okay? So we're going to posture ourselves by turning off our phones. And immediately I know that you have the combination of worthy reasons and lame excuses as to why you don't feel like powering off your phone. But one thing is certain... It's not that necessarily you want to take notes. It's not that. The reason why you came to church this morning is to hear from God. That's the reason why you're here. You didn't come here to scroll through Instagram. You didn't come here to check your work emails for Monday. You came here to hear from Almighty God. And we're reading his word. I don't want you to be distracted. I don't want to be distracted from missing out that, from what he wants to speak to our hearts this morning. So with no distractions in this place, no phone is going to ring, right? Okay, I warned you. This morning, I want to see the truths of James 1, 19 to 20 at work. I want you to see this. And in the narrative between Martha and Mary in Luke 10, 38 to 42. Let's dig in. First point this morning, be quick to listen. Be quick to listen. Scripture says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Be quick to listen. Of all the people in Bethany, that small village right outside of Jerusalem, Jesus had a special relationship with one family, those belonging to the house of Simon the leper found in Matthew 26 and Mark 14. This was no nuclear family. There is a lot of difficulty in this family, a lot of struggles in this family. They're well-to-do, they're wealthy, yet there is an absence in the home with no visible presence of a father or mother. We're left to assume that either Martha, Martha, Mary, and their brother Lazarus were likely orphaned at an early age. Perhaps the quality time that we see Jesus spending with this family might be rooted in his desire to care for orphans in their distress. We don't know the details of their lives. We know just very little. But what we do know is that each of these siblings are followers of Jesus Christ. They are true disciples. Before we're tempted to downplay this lady named Martha, I want you to remind you that Martha is the one who invited Jesus into the home. 
it logically follows that had Martha not invited Jesus into the home and shown hospitality to him, Mary could never sit at his feet. Now, this is not to say that serving Jesus is of no importance. That is important. But it is to say that listening to Jesus is of greater importance. It's more important to hear the words of Jesus first before we do things for Jesus. I imagine Martha was in the kitchen cooking up a great Israeli meal. I mean, she must have known it's all about the flatbread. If it's all about Israel, it's all about the flatbread. I've been to Israel. It's good. So she's in the kitchen, and she's busy, and she's preoccupied. Things are happening. She wants to serve Jesus her best meal. Food's important in culture. This meal would only temporarily temporarily satisfied. See, Jesus would be hungry again. Dinner would come, breakfast would come, lunch would come. This was just one moment of life. But Jesus, Jesus is different. Jesus has come to bring words that would eternally satisfy her soul. We need a reordering of our lives this morning so that we return to the primacy of receiving from Jesus before doing for Jesus. It's in that order. That's the right order. You may remember that in Luke chapter 4, verse 4, Jesus resists, he resists Satan's temptation in the midst of the wilderness, and he quotes Scripture. He uses the Word of God to overcome the evil one, and he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that what comes from the mouth of the Lord. What did Jesus mean in that moment? What is Jesus modeling to us in that moment? It means that Jesus has already spent time with the Father. Jesus knows the words of the Father. And he was able to resist temptation because he recalled the truth. And in a moment of human hunger, a moment of human weakness, Jesus appealed to the divine word. We do not simply live on what we eat in this natural we live because God speaks and he sustains us in the supernatural. This is not the denial of our human needs. It is a question of the source of our very existence. Quoting the words of the Cretan philosopher, Epimenides, oh man, I tried practicing this all, all week. The Greek philosopher, let's just leave it there. The Cretan philosopher, Epimenides, there I got it, Epimenides. Acts 17, 28, the Apostle Paul adopts and redeems this philosophical phrase, for in him we live and move and have our being. And so as we examine the text, we come to appreciate Mary's posture. What's Mary doing? Mary is not a woman with a foot fetish. It's not her thing. It's not that. This is the only way she knows how to seek Jesus. This is the only way. She doesn't know what to do. This is the only way, at his feet. Every time Mary encounters Jesus, she's at his feet. We fast forward to John eleven thirty two. 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was in song, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Fast forward to John 12, 3. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard an expensive perfume, and she poured it at Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair at his feet. She chose to put aside hosting in order to choose sitting. 
she made the decision to not multitask because multitasking is a myth. Although we'd like to think in our heads that we're able to focus on many things at once, the reality is, is that we can only give our attention to one thing at a time. It takes your whole body. Your eyes need to be looking. Your ears need to be listening. Your mouth needs to be silent. Your body is calm. She recognized that she could not host Jesus and listen to him at the same time. She had to pick and choose, and she chose the better. See, your devotion to listening to Jesus is what sets each of us apart from that thing we call nominal Christianity, just being a Christian by title. We find a remarkable statement about this Mary. There's just something about Mary. In Matthew 26, 13, the scripture says, Truly I tell you, Jesus says, Wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done, what she has done at the feet of Jesus, will also be told in memory of her. That's how Mary became famous. She sat at the feet of Jesus. Friends, we're not called to simply host Jesus and throw a nice party and reception for him. We are called to become disciples of Jesus. And that call to discipleship is not just an ex exclusive call for the 12 disciples in that day and time. It is an inclusive call to all people, to men and to women. All of us are disciples of Jesus Christ. And the difference between Martha and Mary was that Martha revered Jesus as a rabbi, but Mary believed in her heart that Jesus was the Messiah. She was confident. And that understanding dictated the nature of her preoccupation. Let us never become the type of people who have eyes but do not see and ears but do not hear. And what if Jesus were to visit your home today? Would you be too busy? Would you be too preoccupied to spend your time at his feet listening to his voice? I sure hope you'd spend that time with him. Second point this morning is be slow to speak. Find this in verse 40. But Martha... She was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care? Oh, man, Martha, wrong question. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Luke clarifies that Martha's service has now become a distraction. In his book, Hyperfocus, How to Manage Your Attention, in a world of distractions, Chris Bailey, he shares some surprising statistics. One of them is this, is that on average, we work for just 40 seconds before we're either interrupted or distracted. 40 seconds. Oh, my goodness. There's people already who are distracted in here. And your phone's off. You're just like, ah. Uh. Christian chicken. No, 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 no. Corn, corn. And then a second statistic is this. It takes an average of 25 minutes to resume working after being completely distracted. 25 minutes. How much of our life do we waste being distracted? Well, if you use Facebook, you know what I'm talking about. Just scroll, 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 scroll. 
I really think Martha originally had a great intention. She really wanted to do her best for Jesus. But when she became distracted, everything quickly transformed in that situation. And it became an overwhelming burden on her shoulders. See, it was an honor to host Jesus. But now it's a burden to host Jesus. She felt the weight of preparing her very best meal for him, being the best host she could ever be, making sure Jesus is the most comfortable he could be in their home. And I think we're like Martha in many ways, aren't we? Because there's just so much to do each and every day of our lives. It can be all-consuming. Mark 10, 45, it summarizes the, purposes of, the purpose of Jesus' coming. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Did you catch it? Let me read it again. For even the Son of Man, Jesus, Son of God, did not come to be served, but to serve. Martha missed the whole reason why Jesus had come to the house of Simon the leper. It was not to take from her. It was to give back to her. And distracted people are too concerned about getting things done at the expense of getting to know someone more intimately. As her frustrations rising, her blood's beginning to boil, and she ought to have pulled Mary aside to speak with her privately and kindly request her assistance in the kitchen. But she instead blurted out her unfiltered criticism against Mary towards Jesus with the hope that he would correct her sister. It's like having an argument with a family member in front of a guest. It's inappropriate. It's not good. It's not hospitable. To make things worse, she draws her guest into the argument. Jesus, aren't you on my side? Shouldn't she be helping me? Can I get a witness? And her actual words are, Lord, don't you care? Don't you care? Sometimes I find that we say those words. God, do you see me? Don't you care about what I'm going through right now? And yet we're distracted. See, Martha did not have a full understanding of who she was speaking to. Not just Jesus of Nazareth, not just Jesus, son of Joseph and Mary. This is Jesus, the son of the living God. He's at their home. Of all the places where he could be and all the things he could be doing, Jesus could be ministering to the thousands. But Jesus chose to be in their house in that moment of time all because he cared. He cared about them. Martha's wondering how her ability to host Jesus is going to reflect on her reputation. Like the community is going to find out that she was not a good host. The community is going to find out she's not a good cook. But some way and somehow, we all have this tendency to make things less about Jesus and more about us. In the moments of insecurity, Martha becomes quick to speak. And she blames her sister for not helping. My sister has left me to do everything by myself. Tell her to help me. Friends, it's not Mary's fault. It's Martha's fault. It's not someone else's fault. It's our fault if we're busy. It's our fault if we've made distractions in our lives. It's our fault if we start speaking too quickly and we're not slow to speak. The result of being slow to listen is that we become quick to speak. And Martha was not only now disconnected from Jesus, but she was also disconnected from her sister Mary. It's time to reconnect with those with whom we've disconnected from. Third point this morning is to be slow to anger. Verses 41 to 42. 
Scripture says, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Jesus understands that Mary, Martha's angry. He understands. Human emotion, he understands it. He has the same emotions. She has expended all, her, all of her energy. She has spent all her time, and now she has said some things that she cannot revoke. It's out on the table. And Jesus begins his reply by addressing her by name, not once, but twice. Martha, Martha. I was considering that and exploring that in the Bible during the week, and there are seven instances in the Bible when God repeats someone's first name. He says a few other things like, on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He looks over Jerusalem, he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. There's seven characters in particular. There's Abraham, Abraham in Genesis 22. Jacob, Jacob in Genesis 46. Moses, Moses in Exodus 3. Samuel, Samuel in 1 Samuel 3. Martha, Martha, Luke 10. Simon, Simon, Luke 22. And Saul, Saul in Acts 9. What's remarkable about this is as I examine these instances, I found it interesting that in the four Old Testament examples, Abraham, Jacob, Moses, and Samuel, they all respond to their name being called with the same phrase each time. What is that phrase? Here I am. Here I am. If Jesus were to call your name today, how would you respond? Would you say, Lord, here I am? I hope so. However, when we look at the New Testament examples, Martha, Simon, and Saul, they, use, they don't use the same response. They use a different response because they're being rebuked by Jesus for their behavior. In fact, we don't really know what Martha ends up saying back to Jesus. Martha is rebuked for being worried and upset. Simon was rebuked for being sifted by Satan. Saul was rebuked for persecuting Jesus. I hope Jesus can grab a hold of your attention without needing to rebuke you by simply calling your name today. That should be more than enough to get our attention. I believe Jesus is calling each of your names, Chris, Chris, Kylie, Kylie, Kim, Kim, all of your names. But do you have the ears to hear him calling you? See, the, te the teachable moment for Martha is this, is that less is more. Less is more. She had become angry about many things when few things were needed. Really, only one thing was necessary. She needed to be present in the moment. She could have missed the moment. She needed to be right there at the feet of Jesus, right beside her sister, Mary. Mary had chosen what is better than Martha. And Jesus' rebuke is not motivated in anger. In fact, it is motivated by love. Proverbs 3, 11 to 12 advises us, my son, and I add, my daughter, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord, what, disciplines those whom he loves. As a father, the son, and daughter, he delights him. Friends, if we do not cherish his presence by listening to him, we are willfully choosing to be disciplined by him. I want you to catch that this morning. If you're not willing to listen to him, he is going to discipline you. It's just the way he works. He wouldn't be a good father if he didn't discipline you. 
The scripture ends abruptly, leaving us hanging with no resolution on Martha's part. We will never know exactly how she responded to Jesus. It leaves us as readers at the point of decision because ultimately we are either like Martha or we're like Mary. What will we decide to do today? Will we repent and listen or will we become defensive and speak out in anger? The appearance of anger is a sign that you and I haven't spent enough time with Jesus. How can we conform into the image of Jesus Christ without knowing and experiencing his presence? You have to be in his presence to look like him, to speak like him, to think like him. He has to rub off on you. Maybe you've come to church this morning and you're anxious and you're angry. This morning on the worship team, they read one of those scriptures, Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Jesus offers a beautiful invitation to us this morning. If we're anxious and if we're angry, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This morning, you can make a great exchange. You might have this self-inflicted anger and self-inflicted anxiousness, but you can exchange that for something lighter that only Jesus can give you. Because anger is an emotion. It's a good emotion. God created us with that emotion. But staying angry is a choice. You don't have to leave the same way you came this morning. And the dialogue between Jesus, Martha, and Mary reveals how our inability to be present in the moment can distract us from experiencing Jesus and from experiencing community and instead leaving us in isolation. It's the exact opposite of what Jesus intended for us. This morning as we conclude, I want to leave you with one final scripture that the Lord placed on my heart all week. It was just there in front of me the whole time. And we often quote this verse in church whenever we as believers gather together as the body of Christ in a beautiful spirit of unity. It's the, the original context is unique. This scripture is an assurance of Jesus' presence whenever believers must gracious, uh, gracefully and truthfully confront another brother or sister that is stuck in sin. This is the context that we find this scripture. You might know it. In Matthew 18, 20, Jesus says, For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. What a beautiful scripture. But I don't think we ever consider the magnitude of what Jesus is saying in this statement. The series, as you know, is called Imagine Us. So imagine today, what does the scripture suggest about us as we imagine ourselves as the church living missionally in this world? Well, every time that you're in the company of two or three people, something amazing is happening and you might not be aware of it. Something powerful happening because it's God's promise. And God, all God's promises are what? Like we sang today, yes and Amen. So there's this promise of his presence. And surely this is primarily about Christians standing in agreement together in the name of Jesus. However, I'm also confident that God also wants to presence himself in unfamiliar places, in places when we're in the company of unbelieving people. 
One of the greatest threats to our witness in this world is Christian absence instead of Christian presence. What do I mean by that? You see, we can be there in body, but not be fully there in mind. We can choose passivity instead of choosing activity. Many Christians are living their lives half asleep and need to be awakened. Are you awake this morning? God has promised us beautiful things, the availability and the tangibility of his presence. Where two or three are gathered, I am there in your midst. How many times have we been in conversations with people without ever becoming cognizant of his presence? Imagine us. Just imagine us. Every one of us here today. Some 600, 700 people in every human interaction this week, becoming so keenly aware of Jesus' presence, listening for his voice. How would his presence dramatically change the subject matter we discuss, the amount of time we invest, the depth of our engagement with the people that we encounter this week? Well, as we walk out of these doors in a few moments into this busy fall season that has already commenced, we will be bombarded with various distractions. Distractions are coming. But these distractions are not necessarily sinful. They're good things, but they're not the best thing. They can draw us away from the very presence of God. Friends, I don't want to waste another minute of my life ignoring Jesus. I don't want to live another moment of my life isolating myself from people that God has placed in my life so that I can discover his presence. It's not all about me. It's not all about you. It's all about him. And so catch this this morning. If there's one thing I want you to hear, it's this. To be truly present in the moment is to become aware of the presence of Jesus. To be truly present you want to be present right now, right here in this moment, you need to become aware of the presence of Jesus because that awareness changes everything. Let's pray.